Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There was a light on the seafront outside, shining straight up into the room. And in the glow reflected from the ceiling, she looked down at the sleeping boy. He was frowning and his face glistened with sweat. He was strong and stocky, not as formed as a grown man of course, because he wasn't much older than she was, but he'd be powerful one day. How much easier if his demon had been visible. She wondered what its form might be and whether it was fixed yet. Whatever its form was, it would express a nature that was savage and courteous and unhappy. Hello and welcome to this podcast where we run through the BBC HBO show His Dark Materials episode by episode. My name is Helen O'Hara and I'm here with my co-host Dave Corkery. Hello, Helen. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, thank you. I'm glad to be back for a second season. Look at us. I know. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> season two. The subtle would have thought? knife, right? The subtle knife. Yeah, basically. Well, we'll get into exactly what they're covering this season, I think, in, in a little bit. But before we go any further, we should warn listeners, this is, of course, a spoiler podcast. We will be discussing everything in the show and the books up to this point. Um, We will not go beyond this. We will not look too far ahead. If you're reading the book with the show, we will not spoil what's coming, although we may vaguely allude to things sometimes, but we'll try and keep it very spoiler-free. But if you have not seen season one and season two, episode one of His Dark Materials, then please go away, watch those, and do rejoin us afterwards. um, Yeah, what are you doing here? What do you, do you not know. know? Do you not know it's how been, TV works? We've clearly been a horrific labeled misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we have our whole first season uh, of mm. podcast to accompany you on your first season journey. You, the people who seem to have stumbled in here without having watched <laughs> season one, uh, including a uh, a range of interviews with Ruth, Ruth Wilson, Daphne Keane, uh, a lot of the cast and crew. Uh, so we had a lot of fun. And uh, it is just me and Helen today, but mm. we do have uh, some really cracking guests uh, lined good. up. Yeah. Uh, don't want to spoil anything right now, but just uh, st- stick with us. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll spoil some things. We'll spoil the episode, but we don't want to spoil that. But yes, <laughs> yeah. very exciting guests coming up. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, if you have any questions for future episodes or you, any comments on this episode, of course, you can get in touch on Instagram. We are at Stripped Media. Twitter, it's at Stripped Media UK. And you can use the His Darker Materials hashtag uh, when telling us what that is.
So, first of all, what did you think of this episode? Was it a, an exciting start to the season? Yeah, I thought so. Um, well, I think there's not a, a whole lot of action. Actually, mm. there is no, there is quite a bit in the middle, to be fair. But the um, <laughs> the uh, the uh, it feels like a lot of it felt to me like a lot of uh, setup and uh, mm. play, place setting, which is it's okay. For, uh, but for me, the big the big thing was the the meeting of Lyra and Will at last, yeah. right? And uh, Daphne Keane and Amir Wilson just have the best chemistry. I thought they do. It felt like something clicking into place immediately, didn't it? It just felt like, oh, this, yeah, this seems right. This is good, yeah. Yeah, and it kind of felt like they had already met. Like, it was almost a revelation to me that these two characters were meeting each other because Mm. we spent so much time with them in season one. And I guess, you know, having read the books, you feel like you know them so well. So that, um, yeah, that's a nice way to put it. They do sort of just like, they they fit together perfectly. But the the two the two of them the as, as actors they're 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 really nailing the um the the sort of chalk and cheese element mm-hmm. a bit which I liked uh, and like that they're they're quite interesting in the way that they approach things like their different approaches to things like like omelets. Well, uh, exactly, yes. <laughs> um, which I thought was actually a, it's a really good scene. I feel like. Sometimes cooking scenes, I feel like it's been done and maybe maybe I'm thinking of the odd couple, but cooking scenes can be quite a good way to get to know somebody in a strange sense. And I think, and, and just through the medium of discussing eggs, which is a thing that's taken from the book, you know, it does happen when they meet uh, for the first time. Um, it, but it's it's kind of expanded upon and drawn out a little bit more here. And I think it works really well to just show you um, Lyra's kind of unthinking sort of, poshness actually and and (laughs) the way that she's been a little bit coddled in an odd way I know she's been through like hell we've all been there we've seen it with her in season one but you know her life is one where other people do the cooking for her thanks very much yeah um and they have Roger Roger the kitchen boy Roger's the the kitchen boy yeah Yeah. yeah. and so oh this must be another kitchen boy this this will guy because you know here he is knowing how to make an omelet um which is kind of interesting and and I'll be honest like Oxford is is a bit like that, even for students. Like you know, you you do have a person who literally comes and empties your bin and will clean your room weekly if you let them in and aren't asleep every single time they come by. Um, a you know, quick reminder you, that Helen went to Oxford. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean it that way. I just, but you know, <laughs> it's, but I just, I, I do think it's worth saying. Like it is a, a weird little enclosed world. This is why politicians who come out of Oxbridge are sometimes terrible people because they've gone from public school to this enclosed cloistered world where everything is done for them. And then they yeah. go into like the bar or something, which is kind of the same. And then, you know, bad things happen to the country. But that's, a wider point. The point is... Also, you don't want this government making you an omelette. <laughs> let's just, let's just say, put that out there. That's a very good point. I, I think it would turn out like Lyra's. Um, yeah, I'm afraid, afraid so. Actually, um, yeah, the whole yeah. thing is a great analogy for the last year. <laughs> the, way, the way she drops the eggs on the floor uh, and then just like instead of cleaning them up, just kind of swishes them around with her foot. <laughs> Satire. <laughs> 2020 man 2020 but anyway but yeah I think I, th- I just think the scenes between these two are great and I think it was a super smart decision actually to introduce Will last season because if you remember when you first read the book that first chapter where suddenly Lyra is nowhere to be seen and we're in a recognisable world and there's this Will dude it was quite jarring when I first read the book I'm like who's this dude and, and where's where's Lyra gone and why are there no polar bears 
But it was also, I, I agree, but it was also like a jaw-dropping moment. Because it's like, you know, page one, like you say, you're like, who's this? Who's Will? Where am I? And it's like, the, but you also have this sense of ground mm. being grounded because it's, it's our world and it's familiar. And that was also quite exciting because it was like, oh my God, like Lyra's world is just around the corner from ours. Like it suddenly just brought the whole thing quite close. And I do feel like that's been a bit lost in, in this, that sort of wow moment mm. although arguably we did get that in season one when we all freaked yeah, out and actually, it was like ah oh, Will's you, there we were looking on <laughs> Twitter last year people were all like what just happened where is who's this guy people who hadn't read the book had no idea so I think that that moment still happened but just a bit earlier um, but you're right it gives us a, I think a bit more of a not divided loyalty, but a shared loyalty between them. So if when, when they both come in, you're like, oh, my two heroes are meeting now. Oh, this is good. Yay. Um, and there's none of that kind of heavy lifting of explaining yeah. Will at this point. And because and, it would have had to have been like it was spread over a few episodes last time, but it would have had to have been pretty much one solid in episode of just Amir and no Daphne pretty much to get that much storytelling across and give us the same grinding with the character I feel like so you know well this episode is mostly omelette scenes <laughs> character scenes <laughs> we're gonna have a whole cooking of, episode now <laughs> I guess reorienting ourselves scenes and, and kind of not just um, not just things happening and pieces moving into place but also kind of people reacting to the seismic literally seismic change at the end of last season with that massive door opening between worlds and everything shifting as a result and everybody's having to kind of reckon with that i feel like in this episode yeah and and mm. maybe maybe that's a good point to just jump into the magisterium for a minute and lyra's world and where we kind of uh, where things pick up uh, pick off with pick up with mrs coulter and Father McPhail and, and crew, because uh, you're right, there has been, I think seismic is a good word, to, <laughs> good way to put it. There's a giant Marvel villain uh, uh, plot, mm. plot, plot device uh, blue beam in the sky, right? And uh, the magisterium's instinct, uh, as we hear from the cardinal, who I, seems to be in charge, is uh, very much like, don't worry, <laughs> nothing to see here. Like uh, Leslie Nielsen in Naked Gun with the fireworks happening behind it. Don't worry about it. No, nothing in the sky. Carry on. Uh, and Mrs. Coulter, as pragmatic as ever, is very much like she's mm. leaning into this thing. No, we let's like this is real. It's out there. Come on, let's go explore. And that's kind of her hunger and yeah. curiosity needs to be sated. Even though she turned on the chance to actually go through. Um, last season in that um, in that moment of motherliness which I think we've seen moments of that from her but uh, that moment of if my child is here I'm staying in this world and of course her, ch her child promptly leaves this world but you know she, she didn't know that at the time um, but yeah it's interesting isn't it the, the differing attitudes so you've got the cardinal literally refusing to go on deck and even see the thing because he refuses to believe it exists therefore he won't look at it um, and on the other hand, Father McPhail, who's like, it exists. Shit. Now we have to deal with it. What do we do now? For me, not to go too deep into religion. And Let's all that, do right? it. But this, 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 <laughs> all right, all right, buckle in, strap in. Yeah. We got <laughs> um, so for me, this kind of idea represents, um, 
you know, a, a, a religion that is potentially branching mm. off, right? So if you look at the history of uh, uh, Christianity and, 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 you know, you've got the sort of Catholicism and then it splits off into Luther, Lutheranism and Protestantism and Baptist, Baptist church or whatever, you know, all the different strands. And this kind of feels like that to mm. me. This feels like you've got one um, part of an institution which is refusing to adapt or you know say like sex sex before marriage is wrong and then you have another part of the institution which is kind of trying to seeing the world around it and adapting and trying to modernize mm. and that's kind of what we're seeing from father mcveil um except with more murder <laughs> and uh <laughs> and bloodshed. Yes, it's like he acknowledges it's happening and wants to shoot whoever's responsible and or blow it up, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, well, which is at least some way of reckoning with the reality of it. You're right, yeah. I mean, the Magisterium is interesting as well. I'm not, again, not going to get into spoilers, but I've been reading the, the second book of the follow-up series at the moment, The Secret Commonwealth, and... There's some interesting stuff in that about the magisterium itself and the fact that while there is the magisterium, there is no equivalent of the Pope. There isn't, you know, if it is a, an equivalent of the Catholic Church, there isn't one single figure who is infallible at the heart of it. It's a sort of a network of different bodies with different purposes that ha all have slightly different roles. And it's interesting that it, it's appears a monolith from the outside, but perhaps there's a little bit more division inside. And we see a little bit of a hint of that here in this sort of difference of opinion between these two priests, these two clerics, and, and the sort of a little bit of a power struggle almost between them, which, you know, Father MacPhail backs down because the other dude's a cardinal. But you can see the seeds of something being sown there, I think. Yeah, exactly. And and. What's interesting is then you've got Mrs. Coulter in, always mm. in the middle of the power struggle, kind of playing both sides. Because in this first introductory scene, she knows how to work this cardinal, right? She's like, like, here's a glass of wine, Mr. Cardinal, sir. And like very, you know, she's, um, well, while also taking Father MacPhail away. And, you know, and, and at the end of the episode, it's like, you know, here's what we need mm. to do. He, she's positioning him and bringing him along for the ride. And I love that line at the end when she says, I will make it my sin. You know, she's almost like she he's un, he's unwilling to go mm. as far. You know, he's he's like called the doctor, called the medic. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit like, I mean, does he, though, really need medical attention? I think her, her position is really interesting because we know a little bit from season one that she's been through the mill. Um and that she suffered disgrace in her past. And she has built her way back up from that to this position of, you know, power and responsibility within the church, which is which is kind of no mean feat. And it's really interesting to me how, how much she can do with that background in this society, you know, and that she's, able, she's been able to get over to that to the extent that she has been. And I think it's because no one really knows how she feels about Lyra maybe to some extent she doesn't either but there's there's a real kind of disconnect in her professional life I guess and and sort of motherhood it seems wrong to use that word about her even so but you know there are moments <laughs> I know it's wrong it's like it's like in season one every time she was motherly it felt like a wrong and alien and that's what to Ruth Wilson's strength she she played that 
that weird conflict so perfectly but i think i think yeah um that's the way you put it is is good that sort of that uh disgrace almost powering her ambition like would she have even got this far without that sort of drive of overcoming that shame um because and 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 that probably resulted in her you know sacrificing a personal life for that because she's quite ashamed by herself as well and that's what we see in her demon and her and her and uh it's 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 a it's a real repression which she's funneled into this just like just unstoppable like uh meteoric rise to the top right yeah and i think it also maybe it may also be what causes people to underestimate her or to or to think that she can be useful to them only to a point like they can use her and then get rid of her past a certain point because that line you you pointed out about i will make it my sin you know he feels like that's a thing that first of all that she is capable of doing she could kind of murder or at least allow this dude to die but second of all that that's a viable opportunity for him and it's not going to rebound on him and it's not going to come back to bite him because she is in some sense maybe controllable or or has you know some kind of weakness in her past maybe and that's why i don't know maybe there's an element of underestimating her maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong but uh no you're right you're right he doesn't feel we never get a sense from mcphail that he's threatened by her as such yeah he feels like comfortable it's almost like she's taken something away from him but she's he's comfortable yeah as you say it's not going to come back on him but 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 the she's somebody who's comfortable with doing extreme things and we see that in this episode to to in this quite horrifying i thought um torture scene yeah it's real i mean without being graphic at all it's pretty hardcore because you know she's pulling okay what are basically branches of cloud pine out of the witch's skin and i thought that was a great sort of twist on the mythology you know in the books it talks about them using cloud pine to fly but there are literally and I, I watched out for this on a reread after i watched this episode it is they literally talk about grabbing their branches and flying so it is more like a broom you know it's not like it's in embedded in their skin this is something that the tv shows has added and first of all it's really it's a really beautiful idea the way it's kind of carried out and the way it's sort of shown on her skin but second of all of course it makes it terrifying when she starts kind of pulling it out, it's like pulling out, you know, fingernails or something. It's horrifying. Yeah. I fa- I was really, uh, I, f- I was quite upset by it. Like, I, t- I was mm. just like cringing, like the, the desired effect um, uh, really hit me. Mm. And and again, I came back to that, that thing of like, uh, <laughs> it's like, is this suitable for kids? I know we talked about this this last season but it's pretty hardcore mm. and i think the but i think to its credit that the so kind of sows the book like the book doesn't really shy away from tricky subject matters but um seeing something like that brought to life like it's very much a torture scene and it's very scary i thought like ruth wilson in this is a is a scary presence mm. and she's doing all the classic torturer things that we've seen in uh in fiction you yeah. know where you slow slowly take off your jewelry and uh and, and and place it and uh, uh, yeah you've, you've got the tray of sinister looking instruments all neatly laid out <laughs> yeah <Ooh>. all the tropes <laughs> all of the tropes but also this this idea that there's that Lyra has another name and she's desperate to know what that is like there's real 
it is desperation there. I'm just going to repeat myself. It, she doesn't, she has to know. It's like a hunger. The way she says it as well is, is this like, it's it's almost like a breath. It's like this, this, uh, uh, this, this like release of just anger and fury. It was like a really like, uh, again, scary. She was almost otherworldly in this scene. I thought Mrs. Coulter, really scary. And then uh, the rescue happens from the absolute badass queen Ruta Scotty. Yeah. Yeah. Played by Jade Anuka, who uh, absolutely smashed it in this episode. I thought she comes, she comes into that council meeting uh, where we see Lee Scoresby again, and the witches. Or there's a, this is a lot of like sort of exposition, really, isn't it? And it's plot setup. But it's like you will go to Stanislaus Grumman, um, at, <laughs> and we will uh, go this way. <laughs> exactly. It, fe- it felt like that's very like uh, Council of Elrond mm. and uh, all this kind of stuff. But I like I like that stuff. Uh, that's that's when we're back in familiar fantasy land. Yeah. And it was interesting to sort of see that that contrast with um with where Will and Lyra are in this uh, shit uh, shit <laughs> I don't know why I did Sean Con- in honor of Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, so Queen Ruta comes in and mm. it, it, was, it was interesting to see sort of uh, the conflict uh, between her and Serafina Pekela, right? The, this sort of inner witch strife. Yeah, because so in the book, it is Serafina who goes to the rescue. Um, mm. And and here they make it Ruta Scadi. And it's, it is a very interesting change because I feel like it sets up those two characters in an interesting way. I think, look, it, it was great in the book that Serafina did it because I think it's a moment of real, um, it's both a moment of uh, badassery from her in the book. Like she's, it's a very, very cool scene. Uh, but it's also a moment where it shows her compassion and her her fears. Like she basically, she sneaks in and listens to some of the Magisterium Council in the book as well. And gets really worried for her sisters and, and her sort of invisibility cloak, essentially, that she's essentially in at the time, almost breaks down as a result because she gets really agitated. And she has to kind of... I, keep I hate her, when that happens. I know, right? And, and she has to get really, really calm in order to kind of resume her invisibility and, and sneak through the ship and, and, you know, rescue her sister. And so what they, they've kind of done away with that little bit of spying and that little bit of insight into the magisterium in favour of a much more... Um, frontal attack, really, from Rudiscadi. And so that's quite effective in... Because I think we already know that Serafina cares about her people. We already know that she fears the Magisterium. We already know those things. So maybe it's more useful at this point to have Rudiscadi kind of establish herself as the more kind of hardcore badass witch of the two of them. Because, you know, you, you have to wonder if there will be conflict there in the future. So Lee Scoresby, though, he's told to go off in search of this Stanislaus Grumman, who we think is dead and beheaded, judging by season one. But maybe he isn't. 
And therefore, maybe he has a thing that is a, a magic talisman of some sort that can somehow help Lyra in some fashion. I'll be honest, it seems like a bit of a wild goose chase. And the only goose around here is Serafina Pe- Pecola's demon. Oh. It doesn't seem that wild. So. You, must, you had that written down, Heather, right? <laughs> hey, look, hey, no hands. You've been rehearsing that all day. <laughs> um, yeah, it's hard to talk about this with, without, like, uh, spoiling things. Mm. I've, I find I'm finding, like, my... Um, my knowledge of the, the 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 book future, which I love to lord up over people who haven't read it, uh, <laughs> is bearing heavily on me now. Well, so I don't I don't have much to add. Let's just say this. Um, I think I feel like Lee Scoresby is first of all very aware of his uh, luck in being in a council of witches, and very aware of the precarity of his situation being in a council of witches. So fair play to him for presumably getting out the other side. Okay. Um, and yeah, I guess we'll have to see if his uh, if his journey pays off. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> we should. We definitely shouldn't be writing the coming up next week on uh, yeah. We definitely should. material. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hop over back to Shatagaja. I thought this was interesting. What's, so first what's of all, going on? What's going on, Helen? First of all, she doesn't go straight to the city. She's like wandering around the, the hills for days, really, before she, she kind of gets there. Um, mm. It takes her a little while to find it, which is kind of interesting, given you can see it through the rift in the sky of the, you know, Aurora Borealis and such. Um, but yeah, it's cool. Maybe it's, it's, maybe it's like um, the side view mirror of a car, you know, objects may appear. <laughs> Uh, further away than in reality. <laughs> they really are, yes, in, in the Aurora. Um, but no, it's gorgeous. It's a sort of uh, Mont Saint-Michel if it was Italian, you know. I feel like I'm actually missing an actual city in Italy that it looks very like. And it's gone on. Where, where did they film? Do you know where this, they filmed? Yeah, at? they filmed in Cardiff. That's in Cardiff? That's in Cardiff. I was like, I was thinking maybe it's like Dubrovnik again or, you know, they went to Malta or somewhere. Yeah, Malta no. vibes. Cardiff that's a studio set it is very well very well used when I read that and went back and watched it again you can see that they've redressed some streets and used some different camera angles and things but again their their use of special effects and visual effects and sort of tying those two up is really really impressive there I think it's done really well yeah, that looked like a real-world location mm. to me, like hands down very impressive although there was one point where I, I was like you know uh the steps that the two are sitting on yeah. and there's this beautiful like that's a beautiful location and mm. this, the, there's a real symmetry to, the, to mm. the way they shot it uh with the two of them sitting on either sides which like really you know in comp- felt like a call back to the opening credits and the whole theme yeah, of parallel point. worlds and all this which i loved and i was just like that can't be a real either i was like either some badass location scout like the best locations yeah, yeah, yeah. in the world or or they they built this that, uh, so that actually was... is based on a real um location i think so there's a there's um step wells in india as in wells that have steps in them not like i don't know what, what else it would be but there's step wells in india that have that sort of interlocking effect it's used in if you've seen the film um the Fall by Tarsem Singh, where he basically, I think they, they took like two years to film it and they went all over the world and it's filmed in the most incredible real world locations. I mean, that film is stunning. I have it on Blu-ray, huge recommendations. But like they go to the Blue City in Jodhpur and they go to um, 
uh, to the Tivoli outside Rome and they go to like the desert and I think Namibia. I mean, it's incredible, but they have one of those step wells in that and they are gorgeous. So anyway, so I think that's where they got the idea. Um, okay. But it worked. You're right. I hadn't even thought of the comparison to the opening credits. And of course, it's perfect for that. And it's where Will's portrayed in that. So, yeah, it works. Although, of course, steps are also where he became a murderer when his cat tripped that dude, fell down the stairs and killed him. Oh, yeah. So maybe <laughs> he's got some deep PTSD when it comes to steps. When it comes to stairs. Oh, God. And, I, and I mean that in both the uh, things that you go up and down, but also the band. Um, it's, a real, it's a real tragedy it is a tragedy when the feeling's gone and you can't go on <laughs> the other things that struck me in terms of like little character uh, things I, th- I thought the, the 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 writing Jack Thorne wrote this episode didn't mm. he and the the, uh, the the sort of little character moments that we we talked about earlier so the, the omelette um scene mm. and all these little things that we said you know they've got room to expand upon you get a lot of that with will and lyra you know you get yeah. him she knocks over a box of lemons and then he like carelessly and then he he starts one by one p- picking them up like he just can't help being this this helper this you know he's a, yeah. he's a as someone who he's a carer and the uh, you know he saves a he saves a bloody cat in this episode i, I mean, mean if you don't so that's virtue signaling if ever I've if ever I've seen it. The uh, and and just oh god, how cute was it though when he delivers a towel and some soap for Lyra mm. up in the bedroom? Like I, my heart melted. Oh, and, and explaining what a shower is, I, I just thought it's a, it's a bad <laughs> yeah. standing up. I just thought it was great. But um, but no, he yeah, and I, again, it all goes to this. You know, a, a guy who's spent his entire life looking out for someone who sometimes can't look out for themselves and. So it it makes sense for his personality and it makes sense from, you know, and reminds us of where he came from and everything. But it's also a great contrast, like you say, to Lyra and her complete disregard for anything other than what is in front of her right this second, right now. We're going and doing the thing right now. Nothing else matters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and before it was before it was rescuing Roger and now it's finding dust. Yeah, she's really like woman on a mission with the with the dust and mm. she gets that you know and that's how we sort of end this episode isn't it she gets that that purpose again yeah. the excitement because because really for most of this episode lyra is moping you know mm. moping feels like an, a sort of a, an unfair way to describe somebody who's who's seen their friend murdered but um she's uh she's not in a good way you know she and she and she's um isolating herself mm-hmm. from Will, who at the beginning, who's trying his best to reach out, and it's interesting that only, uh, you know, Pan, who is the representation of her deepest inner desires and thoughts, is the one who's saying, you know, the small voice inside her is just like, no, listen to this guy. But it, but everything else about Lyra is saying, go away, yeah. go away. You know, I want to be alone. But she's also afraid to be hurt again, mm. right? I don't think she's, she's and afraid, afraid to hurt. of friendship. You know, yeah. afraid to oh, accidentally exactly. betray another friend. I think of course yeah because she's she, that's the thing she's got this deep guilt mm. uh, expressed in this episode you know sh- I should never have you know brought Roger and it's an, an incredible um, feeling so so then when we get to that moment yeah where she's Will mentions his Oxford and they have this sort of fun dialogue where they realise that the, how much their worlds have in common and she gets excited again about the scholars and figuring out dust and that's when it's like Oh, kind of we've got Lyra back you yeah. know that 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 curiosity and that drive 
that her mother has as well. Exactly. And it, I think it was finding out that um, common, well, uncommon language, I guess, when they when they discover the, you know, electricity, amber, ambaric, yeah. electron, you know, that, that kind of parallel, I thought, was, was just beautifully played by both of them. And again, just showing that sort of, they're coming at things from different directions, but they can meet in the middle um, sort of moment. Yeah. And I thought that was beautifully played and beautifully written as well. I thought it was really nice. It's in the book, but it's just, it was really, really well played on screen. I'm getting, I'm actually getting more excited talking about it than <laughs> I was watching it, if that makes sense. It does, but I think, I think this is, you're right. This is a very much a setup episode. It's kind of reminding us who everybody is, what they care about, what they're trying to do this season to at least some degree. Um, I think the witches haven't quite figured that out yet, even after their council. They don't quite know how they're going to react to all of this yet. But it's clear that they're going to do something and try and figure that out. You know, Lee isn't quite sure what he's looking for yet, but he knows he's trying to help Lyra and he knows he's going to keep doing that. And so it's... And then Will and Lyra, by the end of the episode, at least have figured out, okay, whatever we're doing, we're going to work together for a little bit and try and get somewhere with it. So... That's all good. Although there is a bit of a maybe cliffhanger of an ending to this one. Yeah, a bit. That's a, that's a massive old <laughs> cliffhanger. There's a giant ghoulish specter right hanging right behind him, isn't there? There is. And that's not encouraging, given that everything we know about specters. Yes, which we hear... Um which we heard from the two girls earlier. So so let's let's list off what we do know. Mm. Again, no spoilers for uh, from the book. But in this episode, we find out uh, the adults have been... Um, if, if you're a child, uh, you're unaffected by the spectres. Mm-hmm. The adults seem to have been sort of hollowed out by them. And we see an example of one um, when which Lyra incredibly bravely walks up to and mm-hmm. sort of... And there's a tenderness to it, the way she mm. walked up to, to, that, to that man as well and stopped him pouring the water. Um, and we know that... Uh, the town is sort of deserted because of this um but yeah we so we finish on this this glimpse of what the specters actually look like and uh yeah there was a sort of a i had to describe it almost this uh floaty incorporeal sort of a yeah it's uh, like the ghost of a dementor isn't it really yeah, I mean, I hate exactly. to bring it back to Harry Potter, but like they did a lot of these kind of floating apparition apparitiony things, you know. So that's kind of yeah, it was it was less of a Dementor than a Dementor is, but a bit more of a Dementor than you'd be comfortable with. If that like makes a sense. Dementor without without a, a head and a hood. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think, but I think it's a similar idea, I guess. And in, in, come and think of that, you know, this idea of being hollowed out by it. But it also in this world, it seems to have parallels at least I think to what was happening in Bolvangar it it clearly has parallels to this idea of you being separated from your soul of you being separated from yourself Um, of course of the devastating effects that can have as we saw with Roger Um, and the let's be honest still devastating effects that it can have even if done quote unquote safely I mean we saw even with somebody like uh, Morford Clark's nurse if you remember her just tiny little role but she'd been sort of severed in some fashion we don't quite know exactly what she went through but we know it was something and we know that like basically a lot of what should have been there in her wasn't there and I think there's a sense, or at least I took a sense, that the Spectres were doing something similar in some fashion. Yeah, good shout. Yeah, it's a very, yeah, very, very reminiscent of that. This, uh, this sort of dead behind the eyes vibe. Mm. 
Not nice. It's kind of how I feel after having two kids. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the sleep deprivation. It's fine. (laughs) His Darker Materials is a stripped media production. Our executive producers are Kobe Omanaka and Tom Wally. The episode was edited, mixed and sound designed by Tom Wally. This episode was produced by Helen O'Hara and Dave Corkery. All our music was composed by John Dix. Our artwork was created by Sam Gilby. And the excerpt read at the top of the show was taken from the book The Subtle Knife by Philip Pullman and published by Scholastic. This episode was recorded remotely in parallel worlds. Finally, big thank you to James Carroll and the team at North Bank Talent Management. You just heard a stripped media production. If you're listening to this podcast, you must recognize the value of asking questions. At Aramco, our questions help us engineer a better future. How can today's resources fuel our shared tomorrow? How can we deliver energy to a world that can't stop? How can we deliver one of the fuels of the future? How can we sow curiosity to harvest ingenuity? To learn more about how innovation drives us forward, visit aramco.com slash powered by how.